Hi there, welcome to Hobbs and Elbow Drops. It is um, Alex here, your wrestling expert, and Sean is taking a leave of absence while he gets set up in Scotland. He'll be back very soon. Today I'm joined by a special guest. Introduce yourself. What's up, boys and girls? Kevin here, uh, back on the podcast. I think this is my third time and here now. Triumphant return. It's been a while, been a while, so I'm uh, glad to be back. I've watched exactly zero wrestling matches since I was last on, so... Really uh, keeping up in tip-top shape here. Perfect. Well, it makes it any better. We've gone back in time since the last time you were here. So, oh man, I never told you this. We can talk about this on the podcast. Uh, there right, actually was a, a future Broken Hardies thing that happened since uh, we did the episode. You know, I feel like I've seen some Broken Hardy stuff in the news, but I haven't really taken. The well, to they're kind of in the news right now because they went to WWE, and now there's this big legal battle about whether or not the Hardys should own the copyright to that gimmick uh, or TNA okay. it does. But anyway, interesting. But what happened was they did another skit that happened like two weeks after we released the episode, so we just missed out on it. But it was called Apocalypto or something like that, and they had he saw Matt had had a, pr- a premonition oh, that the world was boy. ending. And um, they had to have a giant war with every tag team in the world on the Hardy compound. And uh, a lot of stuff happened. Highlights that I can remember include um, the Hardy Boys wrestling the Rockers, who were a tag team from, like, uh, not the, sorry, the Min, the Min, the Rock and Roll Express, who were from the 80s, and they're now like in their 60s and they're old as hell. <laughs> oh my At one God. point, uh, Jeff and one of the dude, the old dudes, are like in like two giant forklifts, and they're like trying to fight each other, but they're actually separated. That sounds like a that sounds like a hell of an event. Yeah, and that crazy Steve dude, who you may remember, uh, as one of the, the face painted people. Yeah, yeah. Um, got thrown into a volcano. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. so that was pretty good. So it's basically just a wrestling remake of Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. Exactly like that, yes. Glad to hear. Anyway, uh, today we are not talking about the, the Broken Hardies or TNA. We are talking about uh, WCW's Bash of the Beach in 1996. It was a good one. It was. It was an event, all right. Um, for those of you with, with uh, some, some wrestling history knowledge, uh, you may know why that is an important event. Uh, for those of you who don't, well, you're, you're going to find out because this is a monumental moment in wrestling history the the turn of the wrestling war when w it looked like to a point where it looked like wcw was going to put the wwf out of business for a few years this led to a i think it's like two year long streak of nitro beating raw on the ratings consecutively uh it was a big turning point and i had never watched this full pay review before so it was an experience for me as well um yeah, did you have any, I don't know, general thoughts about the Bash at the Beach, the setting? Well, okay, for the setting, uh, as you had told me, they'd previously done this on an actual beach, but they decided to move it indoors. So mm-hmm. in their whole entryway, they got all the sand in there, and it's shaped like it is an actual beach, and they got the lifeguard tower and some oh, surfboards yeah. and uh, lots of, lots of blow-up pool toys also. Yeah. It definitely, they brought the beach indoors, and it looked quite out of place. Uh, a lot of the uh, the digital effects that they have also being in the mid nineties. Yeah. Very very bad. Few videos in there and transitions which were just atrocious. I'm pretty confident that either of us could make better transitions today. A hundred. Oh, easily. Yeah. And that's without any real movie making experience. It For was sure. Just just miserable. But I mean that kind of comes with the territory and being it's a true. twenty plus year old wrestling event. So. It's true. Although I haven't I haven't gone back and watched any WWF stuff from the same time period. But I know like. 
within a few years of this, like say like two thousand one, like WWF's um, uh, video package team is at like the top of their game, and, and today it's still very good, and it's it's one of they have one of the best teams of that I think in all um, even media I would say they're really really good at making these short video packages. But by 2001, WWE had this down to an art. And let me tell you, it does not look a lot like the ones they had made for this show. Jeez. I mean, wow, they were bad. I think WCW really could have benefited from having audio in their video packages. Because it was really basically just a silent transition with a musical background. In. Ooh. Like, I don't know if I made this clear to you before, but like WCW was owned by Turner Broadcasting. Yeah. Possibly the largest media company in the world at that time. Yeah. So <laughs> they you, had all the resources. You think Ted Turner could shell out a few Fine. bucks to try and figure something out there, but Man, billionaire Ted needs to get his shit together. That's oh, what yeah. I think. Oh yeah. Oh man. Okay, so um the first match on the on the card was uh Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis. Um so this is a uh, kind of a an important match in that uh, these two guys had a big, uh, I don't know, feud, rivalry, what the, the right word is, but they wrestled each other in a lot of different promotions, originally in ECW, and they were part of the forefront of making Lucha Libre uh, popular, or that style popular in the 90s in the United States. Um, what did you think of this match? I gotta say, this was, I was actually really happy to see this match, because obviously I don't have a very deep wrestling background, mm-hmm. but uh, the first time I was ever on this podcast, we watched Lucha Underground. And I remember from then, I saw a guy named Rey Mysterio, and he was about 20 years older, and he was <laughs> a bit bigger, a bit slower, but when he came up here, I said, like, I think I recognize that guy, and yeah. you, you confirmed, like, yeah, that's the same guy, been around for a while, one of the most famous Mexican wrestlers of all time, eh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it was good to see, I mean, I kind of, I had a feeling I knew who was going to win, it was the one who I'd hear about 20 years later, and yep. sure enough, it was, but lots of agility, it was a good, uh, good fast-paced match to start us out with yeah for sure they um wcw was really famous this time they would always like their main events were usually kind of slow and boring and their opening matches were like really good and really fast and that cruiserweight style that would later go on to be kind of the one of the a big big popular style in wrestling um one thing I did mention briefly during the thing is part of the reason you haven't heard of Psychosis is that he his his run in WWE was botched very badly. And I mentioned that they took off his mask and that didn't work very well yeah, for him. Yeah. What I didn't mention is that he was part of a super, super racist Mexican group in WWE that came out riding lawnmowers. Okay. Riding riding lawnmowers to the ring and wore like, you know, like uh, like the white tanked undershirt tank top things and like yeah. Interesting. What yeah. kind of racist were they? Like against what race? Well, no, 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 no. The gimmick was racist. I mean, oh, in that they gotcha. were like like stereotypical okay. Mexicans from 2005. Yeah. Was the gimmick that uh, that does sound pretty awful. Yep. Um. Uh, yeah, and he didn't last very long. Yeah. No kidding. I uh, I believe it was Dusty Rose who commented on his. Uh, oh God, what was it? His uh. His hair, his Demi Moore hair. Demi, yeah, Demi yeah. Moore. Oh man, jeez, that's uh, that's yeah, they never one. should have taken the mask off, eh? Because that's one hell no. of a hairstyle rolling around the ring there. That's absolutely true. Yeah, Rey Mysterio won this. Uh, I believe with a counter. Oh, 
Psychosis went to do a razor's edge off the top rope, and Rey Mysterio countered it into a Hurricane Rana in midair for the pin. So that was a pretty, it was a pretty impressive move, um, even for these guys who who do crazy shit constantly. Yeah, no, it was some good stuff. I mean, the, during this whole event, we saw what eight matches, nine matches, something like total. that. Yeah, and I th- I feel like this is one of the better ones because we did start to drag in the middle there, mm-hmm. but this was a great I think way this is probably the off. best match on the whole show, honestly. Oh wow! And well, from here we go right from very good to very very dumb. <laughs> Um, so the second match, um, I'm trying to remember what the interview was in between. Oh, they had, they interviewed, uh, Conan, um, who would later, was going to wrestle, uh, Ric Flair later, and he tried to describe what, what Rey Mysterio had done, because Gene Okerlund had no idea. Uh, he got an okay interview. He's, he's talking very fast, stumbling over his words, but I don't think English is his first language, so considering yeah. that, he did okay. You can really forgive him for that. Yeah. Um... The second match was uh, the f- formerly known as many things: earthquake, glacier, and shark. I believe. Uh, no way, he wasn't known as glacier. He was known as like landslide or something. Glacier was a different guy. Oh, okay. WCW made a character who was basically a knockoff Sub Zero from Mortal Kombat. Oh boy! And they they like spent huge amounts of money promoting his debut, and he was like an instant flop, and no one gave a shit about him. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the second match, yeah, the the John Mr. John Tenta, the former Shark versus Big Bubba, the former uh, Big Boss Man, the WWF, uh, managed by Jimmy Hart. And so you know what I always think? I think like we got our two biggest fattest guys here. Yeah. What should we have them do for a wrestling match? Well, you know what? Let's put a sock about fifteen feet up in the air on a pole and say first one to get it wins. Yeah, that Carson City Silver Dollar match. I don't know the significance of Carson City. Or silver dollars, but I think this this feud started because Big Boss Man shaved off of half of uh, Earthquake's hair, John Tenta's hair, and it looked quite he bad. Looked ugly as hell. It yes. was not a good look. Very large man with a completely bald head, except for about half a ponytail on the mm-hmm. back. Yep. Ooh, baby. So like this match was there wasn't much to it. Um, at one point, Big Boss Man or Big Bubba, excuse me, uh, taped. Tenta's arm to the rope and then was going to cut his hair. Oh, yeah. Which he obviously fucked up immediately because he only ta- taped one arm for some reason. And so Tenta got the scissors and cut his way free. And then didn't he bring out the leather belt in this one also? Yep, that's right. Yeah. It was an extended choking bit and then a whipping bit with a belt. And apparently the referee was just didn't see this uh, this belt the whole time. Yeah. Jimmy Page was distracting him. Yeah, it definitely made him look like a. Uh, well, maybe the commentators look like idiots because they were like, oh, well, the ref must not see it. And then later when the ref could obviously see it and was doing nothing, it's like, oh, well, maybe it's just legal in this match. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, the match ended with Jimmy Hart climbing the um, the pole to get the sock full of dollars. But then Earthquake or John Tenta actually gets the advantage and takes it from him when he reaches the ground. Uh, Jimmy gets sacked on the corner post and falls out to the outside. Tenta nails Big Bubba in the face with a sock, uh, which is full of dollars, obviously, and so then, it's a bit of a weapon. And then dumps out all those silver dollars onto Bubba's oh, yeah. body. Mm-hmm. And he does the classic, uh, you know, put the coins on the eyes of the person so they can pay the toll uh, yeah. at the River Styx. <laughs> good stuff. That was It was a good ending, at least. I don't know. The rest yeah. of the match, I mean, it was fairly slow and lumbering. Yeah, uh, for sure. I definitely, I thought they were actually just going to take the pole down. I didn't expect anyone to ever end up climbing it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, maybe they actually like 
they realized partway through playing the map that Jimmy Hart could physically do it. Yeah. Because well, it definitely looked like they were going to just cut the straps and take it down. If anyone was going to do it, it was going to be Jimmy Hart. It yeah, wasn't going to be those other two. No, for sure. That weasel. This The next match, I don't know what the point of this was. Diamond Dallas Page versus Jim Duggan in a taped fist match, which I don't... I don't this was very confusing. Yeah. This was one of the most forgettable matches of the night. I don't get what the point of the tape fist was. I don't understand. Because they definitely had tape around their wrists. Mm-hmm. But in terms like of their fist, knuckles. It was like their yeah, knuckles. Knuckles, yeah. wrists. But there was no fist force closed. They weren't punching each other really Yeah. They were just, they were full on grappling, grappling each other and grasping, but... It and was, then uh, there's an extended bit where they were talking about how Diamond Dallas Page had, had heelishly ripped the, the tape off of Duggan's arm. But it's like, why does it matter? He's not punching anybody anyway. Yeah, they almost made it like his superpowers, like have to yeah. be contained by those, that wrist tape. And if he doesn't have it, he has he's no not powerful anymore. He yeah. can't do anything. I didn't really get what the gimmick was here. And then the end of the match was really, really bad, too. Um, Diamond Dallas Page won by hitting his finisher, which uh, was an instant win, even though he'd been getting beat up, because it's a very protective finisher, which is good. Um, but then Jim Duggan just, like, immediately got up, even, as though he hadn't just been beaten, and taped his fist and punched uh, DDP in the face, knocking him completely unconscious for an extended period of time. So, like, Duggan lost, but did... Did Diamond Dallas Page gave nothing basically. It was extremely odd. If you're watching this at home, feel free to skip through. This yeah, I would. Yeah, that's really a definite skip. I would say the first two, like John Tenover's Big Bubba, is like it's fun enough. You can watch that. It was, yeah. it was okay. Yeah. The next one is a wild, wild match. Um, oh boy, <laughs> the Nasty Boys versus Public Enemy in a double dog collar match. This was this was the most '90s thing I have ever seen. I think. Well, Public Enemy for sure. Unbelievable. Yeah. Public Enemy comes out here and there. Uh, ugly purple and black football jerseys with their own names on mm-hmm. them and they got the dreads with beads in them and just coming out very 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 90s the whitest hip hopper look oh yeah of all absolutely time. absolutely uh, public enemy had been from ECW they were big there and they had been somewhat successful there by just being like big and physical in a company that doesn't have a lot of big dudes um they did, you know, extreme stuff. These tables. Their most famous moment that everybody remembers is they got the whole crowd to run to the ring with them and do their dumb dance thing. And it, there were so many people in the ring that the ring collapsed. Oh my goodness! It's like a moment everybody remembers. Wow. Um, and then they got paid big money to go to WCW and were complete utter garbage without Paul Heyman like doing really good like storylines and have and hiding all their de- terrible deficiencies. You know that doesn't really surprise <laughs> me because I was not impressed by them at all. Yeah, well, good for them for getting some of some of Billionaire Ted's money. Yeah, um, yeah they were wrestling against the Nasty Boys. Uh, who also are not particularly talented, but I think they are probably better than Public Enemy. Um, yeah, so the whole gimmick behind this match was that it was a double dog collar yeah. match, right? So one member of each squad mm-hmm. would be tied around the neck in a chain to the other person yeah. from the other squad. So Yeah, they were paired off one exactly. one, yeah, one and one from and each team. So yeah. two different dog collar chains attaching yeah. these two, and they really... Uh, the majority of this match was shown in split screen... But yeah. it's really, it's like, I, I don't know what they were thinking with the split screen decision, but if, if there's so much just dead space in the well, like, TV screen when they're showing the split screen. So yeah, so there was, the split screen was like the bottom half of the screen was cut in half and it didn't even extend all the way. They were like tilted. Yeah. So maybe about 60% 
of the entire screen is just dead space showing mm. like battle battle of the beach whatever yeah. and the other 40 percent is actual wrestling in two different screens yeah because to show the two different camera angles because the two groups of two were split all of fighting Which, different versus the arena. but yeah, for the most part that decision makes sense but the execution was just awful i don't think it's actually the right decision and it's something you'll you never see that nowadays because i think it's the end of the day it's like people can't really focus on anything so just show them what's most important at the time and also don't organize matches like that yeah they really should not organize matches like that where no. there's clearly two different battles going on in different spots mm-hmm. although it was one thing that was nice about this match is that they really did use the scenery absolutely that, that was a big positive yeah so they really they brought it out to the whole opening the walkway and onto their beach setting yeah and there was some fighting on the boardwalk and on the sand and we got to see we got to see a, a few surfboard smacks and uh, a, a real shark, even. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was obviously fake blow up shark that one of the nasty boys used as a weapon, and <laughs> Dusty Rhodes yells, "That's a real shark." <laughs> That's a terrible oh. Dusty Rhodes impression. Um, before we get too far off the split screen thing, something I just thought of: in 1996, like no one had big TVs. No, like they I would mean, have been like a small ass TV, and then it's like tiny on top of that. No one yeah. will see shit. I mean, we watched this. It's on a big enough TV. It's not the yeah. world's biggest TV. No, but, but it's like... This, this must be bigger than anything you could have gotten in 96. Just No, big. no, yeah. So, the people... If there was kids watching at home, like, trying to sit up late mm-hmm. watching this on their old... You gotta sit, TVs like, a in their foot room. away from the TV to see anything. It would have been brutal. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and the the ending... Well, there, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff, I guess, we could talk about having this match. There was... Um, there's a bit where they're messing around with the lifeguard... Uh, what do you call it? The, the lifeguard tower? Yeah, the lifeguard tower... One of the nasty boys tried, or not one of the one of the public enemy tried to jump off it, but like it tipped over while he was climbing it because it's just a prop. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, not intended at all. And in doing so, the dog collar got caught under the thing, and they had to like stop fighting for a minute and work together to move it. Yeah, they had to like uh, pretend like they're fighting, but also pulling the yeah. chain, and it's like, oh no, it's stuck. Let's uh, do this. It was a bit a uh, bit of a mess out there. Yeah. And there was one point in this match too where I think it's one of the members of public enemy gets hit. It seems like excessively hard by one of the folding chairs. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nailed him in the head. That was like, it was interesting because we had seen a minute ago, like being super light with the surfboards. Like, then, like, someone just fucking wound up and nailed, got nailed in the head with a chair. And I don't, I don't know if there was some sort of like, someone had an issue in the middle of the match because a lot of weird stuff happened in the second half of this match that oh, like yeah. seemed like the two guys were not on the same page. Not at all. And so, th- and then at the end of this match, they bring it back into the ring, right? Yeah, so yes, the end of the match happens in the ring. Um, they they got a table out, and there were a bunch of spots, two different spots. First, they were going to put one of the Nasty Boys through the table. No, first they were going to put one of the members of Public Enemy through the table, and it was like it's just a splash through the table kind of thing, and the table didn't break, and they both fell off. And they set the table up again, and this time one of the Public Enemy guys tried to put a Nasty Boy I through think, the yeah, table. I think, yeah, it was the opposite way that way. Yeah, they, did, like, they switched it up, and that didn't work either, and the table still didn't break. And then one of the nasty boys just like did a big move and got the pin and it looked super kind of rushed and public enemy got up and started beating the crap out of them and then they did a they finally managed to put somebody through a table but the camera missed it yeah it was very all over the place horribly filmed piece Mm -hmm. it was and that's like the way they did that thing at the end almost makes me think like it wasn't planned like like there was some sort of confusion about what the finish of the match there was. There must have been because it seemed like this did not. It was poorly scripted, really. Yeah, it was very confusing. Um, before we get on to the next match, we should talk about um, the babyface promo that the the babyfaces cut. Uh, the babyface in the main event cut. Uh, Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger 
had an interview about uh, the third man and the outsiders and I don't really know what the heck was going on here but by and large it was pretty good Macho Man it wasn't is, bad everything he does is gold you can do no wrong uh, Lex Luger didn't say very much so that was good yeah <laughs> and, and so yeah, Sting also he wasn't he wasn't as S- present. Sting cut an extended promo about how scared they all were. It was and uh, it was very confusing because they all seemed very um, enthusiastic about it. And they're trying to say like, oh, this third man's coming. This is what the whole event is hyping up is who's the third man that the outsiders have brought. And Sting saying, you know, the third man he's giving us goosebumps. And yeah. We're shaking in our pants. I'm having we're cold ready. sweats. Yeah, we're ready for him. But it really seems like they're terrified and they don't want to fight him at all. Like I want was he was he being sarcastic? Was that entire promo like I don't sarcastic? Know. It seemed quite serious. It's very strange. Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, quite odd. But I mean, as long as you have Mean Gene in there and you got Randy Savage, yeah, you're wrong. Those, those two guys have great chemistry for sure. Oh, they're perfect on TV. Oh man. Uh, so next match. Um, well, before we even got to the match, we saw Disco Inferno. Uh, dance out to the ring with his disco ball going and he cut a promo I don't even remember it was like he's gonna win and everybody should come out to his disco club afterwards yeah something like that he had the disco ball hanging down yeah and then Dean Malenko came out and beat the shit out of them for a while it was, was pretty great very nice to see yeah. Dean Malenko's great honestly oh, I've definitely. seen him wrestle a little bit before but like he looked really really good here and so you mentioned to me during this match that Disco Inferno has uh, he's a very bad person has come out uh, in his real life yeah he's just kind of real. a shit a shithead uh, in real life he like he has a one of many many wrestling people to have a podcast that may and that may or may not be his main source of income oh really uh most recently i mean he's just general a dickhead in general but like the most recent thing he did that everyone's pissed off about is he um said that he said sent on a tweet saying if you see a hot girl at a wrestling show take a picture and send it to me and i'll shout you out on the show which is like after there had just been a conversation about somebody like snapping a, a pic of a girl at a show and like posting on the internet and everybody was like, yo, that's not cool. You don't fucking do that. And then he went and said that on his pod- on his podcast or on Twitter and that didn't seem to, even though it was explained to him, didn't see what was wrong with it and like refused to apologize and stuff. That's, so like, uh, that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's pretty fucked up. He's just kind of an, an idiot. Um, anyway, yeah, Dean Malenko, Disco Inferno. This match was actually all right. Uh, Disco got some offense in a lot more than I was expecting. Honestly, I thought it was just gonna be Dean Malenko like destroying him for the entire match. And but I think the announcers thought that also because they were really singing the phrases of Disco Inferno. Yeah. This one. Yeah, it's very weird that it was like it was Disco kind of being this babyface underdog, even though he it really seemed like everybody hated him. I don't like like yeah. and that seems like kind of a heel gimmick. The the whole Disco thing in fucking 1996 oh, for goodness sake. Yeah. Yeah, so like. I don't know what the deal was with that, but the match was perfectly all right. Um, Malenko won with a... Gosh, what did he even do? I don't remember. It was something crazy. Some sort of like... Oh, I think he had... He had him in like a, for a butterfly suplex, and he flipped him up into a power bomb. I think is what happened. Or was it? The, did he do the uh, Texas Cloverleaf? Oh no! Yes, yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he had him in a butterfly suplex. Put him up. Put him in a power bomb. From the power bomb, transitioned into the Texas Cloverleaf uh, finisher, which like or submission hold, which Disco instantly tapped out to, which is nice because I like, I like submissions as finishers. I think it's, uh, I don't know, it's just a, a personal preference. But regular finishers are cool too. Um, so this was was this the last good match? I mean, some of these were all right. Uh, the next match is yeah. very bad. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, well, we, should we talk what, what promos happened? We saw. 
Arn in the dad glasses with uh, Chris Benoit. Oh, yeah, of course. That was, uh, it, I mean, it happened. It yeah. It was okay. It was fine. Um, Steve McMichael versus Joe Gomez was a thing this that is, happened. This is another one. You're watching this at home? Just skip over this one. There's it was, literally no reason to be it watching It was nothing. Uh, it was not especially good. Nothing interesting happened. Steve McMichael won. Uh, Mongo one of the worst members of the Four Horsemen in history. Yeah. And I guess the whole point of this match is to try and show, like, Mongo's trying to prove his worth to the Four Horsemen. Yeah. So he's really going to show how good of a wrestler he is by beating Joe Gomez. Because <laughs> everyone knows Joe Gomez. You beat him. Yeah. You can be a member of the Four he's Horsemen. Like a, a default wrestler in, like, a creator wrestler feature in a game. Yeah, he's, like, completely unspectacular. Yeah. Really nothing to write home about. And... One of the things about this match, too, is that these two wrestlers look quite similar. It's true. They, yeah, both. They're both wearing long black pants, have mm-hmm. long tied back brown hair, mm-hmm. and similar skin tone, similar builds. They're both big and muscular, but not defined at all. Yeah. So, like, yeah. It's, it was very, uh, and possibly also both former NFL players. I don't know if Joe Gomez is actually formerly in I just thought I heard but one of the announcers say that, but I, I don't I could know see anything. Him. So. I could see him yeah. being the case. You sure, know? why not? Yeah. He could be a football player. Yeah. Anyway, I wonder how Joe Gomez is doing these days. Oh, who knows? But who knows? anyways, that was a bad one. It only lasted what was it like six, yeah, seven uh, minutes? Six minutes, forty-four seconds. Yeah, quite, quite quick. Uh, not worth your time. No. Um, next match: Ric Flair, accompanied by Miss Elizabeth and Woman, defeated Conan uh, for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. So the first thing I found interesting about mm-hmm. this match is that yes. I learned that there's a character in the wrestling universe named Woman. Yeah. Which uh, I really wasn't expecting her to just be called woman, but mm-hmm. apparently she's well-known enough. She's been around for a few years, but it yeah. seems like a very, very lazy name, especially because there are so few women in wrestling, to just call this woman, woman. Yeah. She used to be a wrestler as well, I believe. Um, she, yeah, I don't know if it was supposed to be like, like an inspired name, you know, it was like, she's like, she's the woman or something like that. I don't know. I have no idea why she's called that. But um, that's her name. It was very strange, but she can uh, she can really shriek. She can shriek all right. Yeah, she did this entire match. Anytime Ric Flair was in any danger, there was a loud yelling from just ringside there by her. Yeah. Um, there's not too much to say with this match for a Ric Flair match. It wasn't amazing. It was it was fine. Um, I find Conan and ever lots of people have said this is that he's pretty sloppy. Um, like he's perfectly good. He can do all the basics, and he can even do some more interesting stuff. But often he l- looks a little funny doing it, or like things are timing's a little bit off, or whatever. Um, but this match was fine. It was okay. Yeah. There were like multiple ball shots. Uh, I don't remember how Flair actually won in the end. Uh, hmm. Well, let me think. I, I can't, think there I can't. was some sort of distraction, and then that sounds like it's probably. Oh, it was at the heel. Woman, what woman hit him with her heel? Oh yeah. yeah. And then Rick got, got the pin. Yeah, that's right. And Ric Flair very well may have been very high during this match. He seemed That's true. quite distracted and confused coming out into the ring. Yeah, his entrance, he was, like, all over the place. He, like, walked down a bit, and he walked back and was, like, pointing at his uh, entrance video package thing. And then he walked back, and he just did not and look like he knew he where he was. He stopped and looked at a couple of the fans who were trying to give him a high five. And he's just like, yeah, and he didn't, like, flip him off or give him a high five back. He just kind of, like, like looked at them and, like, looked confused and then kept walking. It was uh, it was very odd. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, this is 1996. Ric Flair may have been high as balls. Who knows? Oh, yeah. Um, so, the second last match in the card, the Giant and the Taskmaster 
versus Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit. Now, I didn't think this match wasn't really that bad. I was no, enjoyable was enough, except uh, as seems to be the case fairly regularly with any Andre the Giant matches, <laughs> uh, the Giant really is not in it for enough time just because he is so massive. You really got to have some kind of distraction to keep him out of the ring because he can just overtake anyone that he's facing. For sure, yeah. Um, this match was definitely about both Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit teaming up on the Taskmaster. There is a feud between Benoit and Taskmaster right now, or, or Kevin Sullivan, whatever his name is. Um, uh, so that's kind of the story they were telling, and eventually the Giant gets tagged in, and he cleans house, and he beats the crap out of everybody, uh, and he gets the pin on Arn Anderson eventually. Um, I'm kind of confused about who the babyfaces were in this match, because like this is, it seems like it's two heels against two heels, but it almost like they were... Well, like, Sullivan's getting worked over, right? So that means that, like, he's on the babyface side because that's just how tag team matches work. So it's like, are they trying to turn the giant babyface? Yeah, I, it, was, uh, it was very strange. Hard to tell what direction they were going with this one. I guess because a certain someone is about to become the new top heel in the company. Oh, they can't have true. any other big heels. Everyone else, all the, the, they have to be the opposite now. That's true, yeah. Um, this, is a, this is a perfectly fine little match. Uh, I, it is interesting that... The story of the match, I think, was that if the Horsemen won, Ric Flair would get a world title shot. So I don't know what the point of them losing is then, because now it's yeah. like, oh, nobody gets a world title shot. Yeah, I don't know. It was uh, kind of out all over the place. And wasn't there a bit of uh, after the pin fighting here also? Yeah, so then um, Benoit was beating the crap out of Sullivan, like kick him in the face over and over again after he was already down. And then a woman comes out and yells at him to stop. Which I had thought she was already a part of their feud, but this may be the part where woman gets involved between the two of them. Because in real life, I believe at this point, she was married to Kevin Sullivan, and she does end up getting married to Chris Benoit um, after this sometime. So, life imitates art, I suppose. Yeah, it must. Especially in pro wrestling with these types of storylines over <laughs> and over again. It's like... Anyone who goes into a storyline like this with their significant other in wrestling by now is an idiot oh, who does boy. not know how history works. Um, so the main event, the Outsiders and their mystery partner against Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger in man. a six-man tag team match. Now they were hyping this one, six hyping this one all night. They were absolutely really, yeah. uh, really trying to hammer this one in during every match, saying, who could that mystery man be? And we need to save the company. Mm. And what could happen? And so, obviously, right before this match started, it was accompanied by the, one of the most horrible introduction videos. This video package videos. was ridiculously bad. I don't... I can't even describe it. I guess it's supposed to give you background on what's been happening. Yeah. Except it's all... There's no voiceover or anything. Mm -hmm. And it's all taken in the style of, like... It's, a, it's like a slideshow style yeah. with news clipping headlines coming up saying, who could the third man be? Yeah. And... It was, oh, Now, these tiny, tiny audio cues happen occasionally that are so quiet you can barely hear them. But even then, a lot of the audio cues are just saying the wrestlers' names. Yeah, it's know? just like like three words or little snippets of sound. Yeah. And it's like, that actually pisses me off because they did a lot of really, really great build-up to this match. And you could have easily made a killer video package that got like the audience extra oh, hyped I'm up sure, for this. Yeah. You know? But this, it seems like they were really trying to hold back and not get anyone excited for this at mm. all. It's just... You can only say the words hostile takeover so many times. Oh, my God, yeah. It's It was a lot. Yeah, and this was the hostile takeover match, and the announcers were talking, like, if the WCW lost, then the 
outsiders would be in control of the company, Something which doesn't like really that. make any legal sense. But all right, sure. <laughs> I guess because they uh, who's the maybe they're they're proving superiority is the thing. It's like why would you ever watch WCW again when uh, the obviously not they're not allowed <laughs> to say it, but the WWF is but would that's which is still dumb considering how the thing ended. Although I guess it does kind of answer that question how the thing ended. I don't know. I suppose so, but it's uh yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It's, the whole mystery around here really is just seeing who that third person's going to be. Mm-hmm. The rest of the storyline doesn't necessarily make the most sense, and there's a whole bit involving how they they beat up uh, what's his face, the uh, Eric Bischoff, yes, yeah. who is an announcer uh, behind the scenes. He's the the head writer and runner of of WCW, but I don't. He eventually becomes an on screen authority figure, but I think at this point he's just an announcer and an interviewer who um, got powerbombed through the floor and disappeared off the face of the earth afterwards. Um, as you do. Yeah. So, anyways, for the actual match here, mm-hmm. uh, so we go into it, and the outsiders come out first, and they've only brought the two of them. They yeah. This mystery third Where's man. Where's the third man? The third man doesn't come out, so Mean Gene's got to come out into the ring, and immediately, even though he doesn't have police protection, he <laughs> confronts them in front of the whole audience and asks, "Where's your third man?" We have to know who the third man is. We but, have to. But they refuse to reveal the uh, location of this third man. Unbelievable. But un- as unprecedentedly, the match will still begin three on two. It's just crazy that like the announcers are more upset that they won't reveal who the third man is than excited that they're going to be three on two against these idiots. Listen, if, if I were the announcers, I'd say this is great because we got our three biggest stars here and they yeah. get to face just those two and only those two. Let's go for it because if we yeah. get that pin early, it doesn't yeah. matter who the third man is. Exactly. Uh, but as is uh, unsurprisingly the unsurprisingly. case, because it was an uneven match, one of our good old heroes gets immediately taken out for the duration of the match. Yeah, within like a minute and a half, I think Lex Luger is stretchered out with his fucking arms crossed on his chest as though he's dead. He legitimately looks like he's being put into a casket. Yeah. Because he just died immediately. And it was from a hit by Sting. It wasn't even That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Nash had him held up on the corner and Sting went to hit Nash and he kinda hit both of them and, yeah. and Luger tumbles to the floor. And apparently he just completely died and that he was not acknowledged the rest of the broadcast. So for all we know he could have gone to the hospital and died, but they can't stop the match. No, can't stop. Must continue. Um yeah, so the rest of the match is kinda like Eventually, like a Macho Man fights him for a little bit, and then tags Sting in, and then Sting immediately gets starts getting worked over for about ten minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, he I gets his ass kicked. It seemed like uh, Macho Man, uh, whether it was true or not, he seemed to hurt his neck or his head in some way when mm. he was in originally, and so we had to go out on the sidelines and try and deal with his broken head. Yeah, and that led to a lot of Sting time, which uh, was not exactly time well spent. No, for sure. It was, I mean, it's just the whole, they're just telling the story of, of Sting being beat up and beat up and refusing to quit and refusing to quit and he's just hanging in there. And, um, it is very, very funny that when Hulk Hogan eventually does run out, the announcer's reaction is just they are overjoyed that finally the odds are unbalanced again so that they yeah, can they can finally win three on two. They're quite excited. Well, I, to be to be honest, they think Hulk Hogan comes out and they say, whose side is he even on? Well, that, Bobby Heenan says that, but Bobby Heenan is the heel and he can't trust anything he says. Of course. And this is actually the finish of a really great storyline because Bobby the, Heenan, Bobby the Brain Heenan has been a heel announcer forever, even back when he was in WWF, when Hogan was in WWF. And now... Hogan finally turns heel and Heenan is vindicated. He's been right all along. Hogan's always been a terrible person. <laughs> that's actually that's a good long play. I like. Yeah, that. it's it's very good. 
Um, um, so, yeah, yeah, so as we said, Hogan, Hogan is the third man. Yeah, uh, Savage, I guess Savage ended up tagging back in, and he mm-hmm. seemed like he was going to be able to dominate the match and mm-hmm. pin one of the outsiders until Hogan comes in to save the day for those heels. Yeah, and he, he leg drops him, and the, when the crowd realizes that he's the bad guy, the ref comes in to protest, Hogan chokes him out of the ring, um, they they lay Macho out, they lay Sting out, Ma- they yeah. cross Macho's arms like he's dead. And they do their own pin since they threw the ref out. Yeah. And the announcer insists, we won't, we won't acknowledge that pin, that's mm. not a real pin. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they ended the match anyways, so I guess it counted for something. Yeah, I, I, according to Wikipedia, it ended in a no contest, so mm. I guess there's that. Um... Excuse me. Um, yeah, so um, had you, did you, have you heard of this period where Hogan was a bad guy before? Is that something you, you have any familiarity with through just general pop culture kind of stuff? I had absolutely no idea. I kind okay. of, I was under the impression that Hogan was just kind of always a good guy. Honestly, I didn't even know that he ever left WWF. I thought okay. he was just there the entire time. I had no idea that he was going to show up on WCW. I go. knew it was going to be someone big because you really hyped it as like someone that even I would know. Yeah. So I wasn't. It wasn't the most surprising that it was Hogan because I mean it's one of the biggest names in wrestling. For sure, so absolutely, had to make sense. Yeah, and Hogan's Hogan's heel turn is a really big deal because um, I mean obviously he was the biggest star of all time probably at that point or at least mm-hmm. of that era, and uh, he had always been a babyface or at least had ever since he'd become big. Like he in his early days he was a heel, but that's like nobody remembers that or no one had remembered that. And um, he had refused to turn heel for a really long time um, because we make less money as a heel generally because your, yeah. mer- your merchandise doesn't sell as much. Um, but he was starting to get booed. Um, he had, you know, he was from a, the other company. He had come in, instantly got the top spot, beat all the, the fans' favorite guys, and they were kind of starting to get sick of him. And so it was really the perfect timing for him to turn heel because the people that had loved him felt betrayed and the people that had hated him felt justified. Oh, yeah. And it made sense in the story too, right? Like... He even says that, um, you know, who else is better to join these guys than someone from that company that made that company. And it gets rid of the whole thing about it being, you know, like an invasion from WWF because it's now it's like it's Hogan's quest to just fuck with this company because he's big and powerful and he feels like he can. Um, yeah, so this ends up being this is this is a huge deal and it allows Hulk Hogan to remain at the top of the card indefinitely for the rest of time. <laughs> Um, and ultimately, it, it both made WCW as a company, it put them on the map, it made them the kings of pro wrestling for the next three or four years, and it probably kind of killed the company because um, they put Hogan in a position where he was the heel, and the most important job of the heel is to lose, and to yeah. lose clean, and to make someone else a star, and... I don't know if Hogan has ever done that once in his entire <laughs> career, and this was no different. And he ended up actively um, sabotaging the people he was meant to build up, and probably ended up killing the company as a result. Wow! Well, yeah, that's what happens when you shoot to the big time, eh? Yeah, absolutely. But hey, they were on top for a while there, and uh, this was the birth of the New World Order, the most famous faction in pro wrestling history yeah hogan uh, got on the mic at the end of this match and yeah. announced that new world order was being created so that was definitely definitely a big big event for a while there he started saying new world organization it was driving me completely <laughs> insane it's brand new he doesn't know what it's called <laughs> yet you know this is a new world organization of wrestling brother 
Oh man, Hogan. Yeah, and so yeah, he has his famous promo where he's calling out all the fans, talking mad shit. Oh, the fans are throwing trash into the ring. It's I a mountain of garbage. I can't believe how much trash was on that ring. Just, yeah. Just disgusting. So much stuff. It's one of the things that really sets WCW apart from the WWF is that it kind of, it, it feels more real in a way because these the fans are so viscerally attached to it. I don't know if it's just a WWF. They don't give you stuff that you could throw in the ring, you know, because a lot of it, I think, was beer cups and things like that. Oh, yeah. um, or it's like you instantly got thrown out if you threw stuff, but like... It's one of those things in WCW is that you always had that that visceral fan reaction that I think makes it feel more like a real sporting event. It whereas does, like WWF yeah. is kind of like its own little universe, you know? Yeah, no, the fans definitely they seem very into it and uh, we did we did get the large uh, overview in the middle of the Disco Inferno match of the <laughs> entire I I don't know, they had nothing better to do in the middle of the match, so they just decided to show us the entire Actually, yeah, that's a good question. The entire oh, audience yeah. to say not a single seat in here that hasn't been sold it's attendance of 8,300 people at this event oh wow okay it looked a lot bigger than that yeah well, actually but, yeah that's not that big uh yeah. although i don't know what it compared to back then uh yeah. for them but I today that's, that's, that's not horrible no it's not i mean you can't it's hard to compare it to today because the business is so different that's true um, yeah but that's like i think like raws usually do that nowadays um but hey you know it was all right yeah big deal for them so sure well, we pretty much covered this show. Um, the birth of the New World Order, the NWO, uh, one of the biggest moments in pro wrestling history. Um, that's about all. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Hops and Drops. Uh, our Twitter, or our Facebook, rather, is Hops and Elbow Drops. We're on SoundCloud, as long as SoundCloud still exists. Yeah, that might not uh, Hops be and Elbow Drops. Longer, then, we'll be right? moving to Podbean if SoundCloud dies. Um, we're just waiting for that to happen or not happen. Um... Uh, hopefully, uh, you can find us on iTunes, Hops and Elbow Drops. If you rate and review there, it makes a huge difference. Uh, we do not pay to advertise the show, so tell your friends. Word of mouth uh, means a lot to us. Uh, Kevin, you want to plug your, your social medias or anything uh, you like to say? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I barely use any of those, so if you want to find me, feel free. Uh, half the people listening probably know me anyway, so uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to plug. I'm a yeah. pretty boring guy. I don't yeah, really no worries. I don't know this helps as much, but uh, yeah, everyone should go check out uh, the new film out this weekend, The Nut Job Two: Nutty by Nature. <laughs> yeah, I hear it's uh, what is it? Anti-capitalist? What's what's the? Did you read that review that was like? I didn't read a single word about it. Oh, somebody shared shared a review that was like it's um, it's a pro-environmental. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what you, call it, what you call it, but it's like the basically the uh, anti anti capitalist rioting for for the environment to okay. support the environment. I mean, uh, I could see that. Yeah. yeah, I guess all kids' movies have to have an agenda these days. Angry Birds movie, which came out last year, was a xenophobic movie, which I guess it was like pro xenophobia, like saying if there's outsiders mm. that come to your world, like they're bad. Should, yeah, believe the one. That's real. That's a real Trump era movie. Hey, oh, snapshot of our times. <laughs> Well, we have been Hops and Elbow Drops. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. <laughs>